0: Last weekend, we remembered not only Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice, but also his resurrection, the same resurrection he has promised for all who believe in him. On this podcast, we have previously explored epic resurrection, but not with questions like these. Do we get to fly? Could we apparate from place to place or dive underwater for hours? Will we get superpowers after the resurrection? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the return to podcast from Lorehaven.com, in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm East Steamer Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven, looking forward to my own resurrection. And I'm also the co-author of the Pop Culture Parent.
1: And I'm Super Zach Man, but my alter ego is Zachary Russell, and this is episode 157. Will we get superpowers after the resurrection?
0: Zach, my quick answer to that question is no, probably not. But that doesn't mean we won't get to do supernatural things in the new heavens and new Boo.
1: earth. Ooh, bummer. My answer is yes. So okay, this will be a good so debate. because we're
0: still on the old <laughs> earth, we're going to debate these things. But, you know, even on the new earth, where I think we're still going to debate some things. So there's a lot of uh, myth conceptions that Christians have shared, I think with good intentions about what life will be like in the afterlife. And one of those is that everybody will know everything. Somehow uh, the verse about being known as we are known It's twisted into suddenly mortal human beings being gifted with divine-only omniscience, and I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that there are certain abilities that God will rightly reserve for himself if for no other reason than mortal man cannot hold uh, these characteristics that God holds. And that's one reason why I don't think we're going to automatically have superpowers all the time after the resurrection But we're not going to wrap that up in five minutes. Uh, We're going to take about three (laughs) chapters of discussion to sort through these issues as we uh, rejoin our epic resurrection series, a kind of a a resurrection time series that we've had on the fantastical truth podcast, uh, multiple other episode links in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I think we're not going to have every superpower. I I don't think that's the right argument. I think we'll have some superpowers, maybe not the ones in superhero movies, but Superman is a good rubric we'll be looking at. There's three different superpowers he has. One I think we definitely will have, one that we might have, and one that we won't have. So I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit.
0: Superman is either a rubric or a flying brick. Now that will be interesting to see which superpowers you see hinted at in any of the uh, many, many promises about epic resurrection in the future. Our top sponsor is Enclave Publishing for this episode, Enclave Publishing, where worlds come to life. So it's not just a resurrected human beings who will come to life uh, to live forever as kings and queens under King Jesus in the new heavens and new earth, but we also got imaginary worlds coming to life. Enclave Publishing is built around the power of great stories, which explore the boundaries of the imagination while championing powerful expressions of redemption, truth, and hope. Our stories can seem strange to the uninitiated, but they contain worlds that have never been seen before, and in some cases, confront creatures of mysterious origins. Buckle up and hold on, because we want to tell you a story. Visit EnclavePublishing.com. Enclave Publishing is a division of Oasis Family Media, and their newest novel, War of Torment by Ronin Kiddig, just came out. Get all those links in our show notes for episode 157. All right, Zach, uh, we're going to stop by the concession stand. If anybody has any traditional Easter feast leftovers, now is the time to warm them up. I've uh, got a few concessions here, mainly just because there may be a few folks who've not yet heard Our previous epic resurrection episodes. We're building off of those five previous episodes. And I don't know if this series will ever be done because I always want to talk about resurrection, even when it's not the springtime season. We do assume in this series, as well as in life, uh, that the new heavens and new earth uh, that promised afterlife, uh, most specifically in Revelation 21, we assume that this is a physical place. This is our self-same universe, this very planet that God has judged with righteous fire, but also made new. He does not nuke it from orbit and start over. It is the only way to be sure. No, it's not. Uh, The physical planet itself uh, is not at fault. It is corrupt human hearts that is at fault uh, for the fall. Uh, That problem is taken care of when humans are resurrected. Some are sent to judgment and others are raised to new life under King Jesus. And by the way, we've heard a few comments after previous episodes that, wow, why are you focusing on this normal human stuff? What about the wild and crazy fantastical stuff? You know, you can't even really imagine what's going to go on in uh, heaven or new earth or whatever you call it. Well, I'd like to say that we try to stay grounded because the Bible tends to stay grounded, at least when it starts talking about uh, the prophesied kingdom in the future. So these normal elements are a starting point for biblical speculation. But if we're talking about how good it's going to feel to drink New Earth coffee, and you would rather talk about time travel, well, why not both? Uh, Isaiah 60 and some other Old Testament prophecies are talking about people harvesting grapes and lounging around with animals that used to want to eat you. Kind of normal, spectacular stuff. Start with the normal stuff, stay grounded, and then from there, build outward if you want to imagine, but always imagine biblically. Either way, I think it's helpful to start with grounded speculations literally grounded on the new heavens and new earth terra firma at least at first Uh, scripture does this with the ordinary ideas and by the way i think there's going to be some things that zach and i say uh, that we may have scripture text in the back of our minds but if we try to pause and look up every reference it would be a very slow going show if we miss a reference just ask in the comments section email us podcast at lorehaven.com engage in the socials all that good stuff Finally, I think it's important and sobering to note uh, that if we're speaking in the first person about these promises, we are going to be resurrected. We are going to go on adventures. We are going to do so-and-so. We may or may not have superpowers. The first person there is limited. I want to uh, fence the table, as it were, as some Christians say that about the communion services. These promises, however, only apply uh, to people who have repented of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ and the gospel as revealed. Uh, in the scripture. But the Bible, the same Bible, solemnly warns that everyone will be resurrected, but if you don't believe in Jesus, that is not a happy thing. Uh, Hell is a real threat. We believe at this season, and we especially celebrate the fact that Jesus on the cross suffered the wrath of God so that people would not have to. But that promise, uh, that resurrection, that redemption only applies, and it starts now to those who, on purpose, repent and believe in Jesus Christ.
1: Okay, here's my Superman rubric for my the concession stand. There's three powers of Superman that I think will be good to analyze. One is su- Superman being bulletproof. One is him flying. And a third one is laser eyes or ice breath or whatever. So I think yes to the first one. I think yes, we will be bulletproof. Maybe to the second one, flying. We'll get into that. And then no for laser eyes and and cold breath.
0: I'm down with that. I'm down with that. If for no other reason, than there's no super villains who would require super freezing or super heating in the new heavens and new earth. What would be the point?
1: Yeah, but I, the bulletproof one factors into something else I'll say, which I don't think there'll be super villains exactly, but I think there will be villains.
0: Villains in the new heavens and new earth.
1: Yes. So maybe I should just tell this now. I think there will be unsaved people in the millennial kingdom. Between Jesus' return and then the um, final battle waged by Satan, where he gathers all and deceives a lot of the people, and there's the final battle at the end of oh, Revelation.
0: Oh, fascinating. See, I just want to skip the millennial kingdom because it don't make any sense when you put it to, into the music of fiction. The lyrics kind of make sense when you keep it as prose, but when you put it to the music of fiction, uh, it does not make sense at all. For one thing, where do you put the resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15 seems to me to overthrow that. But I think that 1 Corinthians 15, when it says that at the point of the last trumpet, when the, the dead are raised, death has lost its sting. And then there's a bit of poetry, maybe like an early hymn saying, where, O death is your sting? The resurrection is a single event at the end. It seems to be after which death is gone. Therefore, what would you do then for a resurrection and then a millennial kingdom and then another devil rebellion and then more people dying? I don't know. I guess that goes into the concession stand uh, because I hadn't even thought about the millennial kingdom because I just kind of want to skip it.
1: I think for us, death will go away. Absolutely, death, death goes away for the Christian, but I don't think non Christians get eradicated when Jesus returns. All of them. Gotcha. Anyway. Gotcha.
0: That could be. I mean, wow. You know, Zach, we really do need to have like a show about the millennium <laughs> specifically what yeah. it is. You know, maybe we maybe we go out and drag in a few scholars in here. But what about the new heavens and new earth uh, specifically? Like, what we we clear the tribulation if it's literal? We clear the millennium if it's literal. Don't cancel me. Good Christians have different views on these subjects. Clear all the stages. Uh, the devil is fully and finally defeated. Uh, he's in hell where he belongs. Uh, by the way, he's just the first tenant. Uh, he is not the owner of the place. Uh, the place called hell is made for the devil and his angels. Nobody's uh, actually down there. Uh, running the slave mines or stabbing you with a pitchfork. Uh, everybody's suffering. Very sad. It's very just, though.
1: Yeah, I, I think after the devil is locked away, that's it. Evil has gone forever. Sin is gone that's forever.
0: That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we dispense then with the uh, rather strange idea of, of resurrected saints with superpowers living alongside non resurrected unbelievers. Who are just who, who mortals. Who we
1: rule over with an iron scepter. See, it's so strange, we, though. We become, we it's become just, Iron Man it's or, or Men of Steel. <laughs> it's,
0: just, it's just bizarre, though. Okay, so now that would be a very fascinating. Uh, okay, so so you YA authors out there, <laughs> uh, you, you Christian YA authors who want an original concept that uh, may kind of push the biblical limits. There you go. Uh, Christian superheroes in the New Heavens and New Earth ruling kind of like fascists, or so it would seem to the non-believers who act like supervillains, trying to overthrow King Jesus, Uh, and there's really no sympathy for the underdogs there. The superpowered beings are always right. That's,
1: that's a hard story to write. Yeah. How yeah. exactly
0: would you have Christian saints who never sin? Like, how would you even get a story out of that? Okay. So concession stand over. I'm full. Uh, Zach, if you're full, let's go, to, <laughs> yep. let's go to chapter one. We've gone all, all, all around the definition of resurrection here. Uh, we've talked about this in our previous epic resurrection series, but the point is worth the finding. What do we mean when we say the word resurrection? The Apostle Paul is our go-to on that one. I've already mentioned First uh, Corinthians 15. I've got a few verses here, but we can't read the whole chapter. Uh, it's a pretty long one, but worth reading uh, in its entirety. Uh, the Apostle Paul is responding to an invisible critic, and he says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 50 in the ESV. Uh, I'll note here just a few quick points. Uh, we're talking about bodies. Uh, that is the Apostle Paul's operative word. Uh, there's some modifiers there. Uh, and we do see some differences. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing differences between our bodies as they are now and the future versions of our bodies. But we do know what a body is. Paul is using that language on purpose. He's not saying you're a body now or you have a body or that fake C.S. Lewis quote, uh, you are, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. Fake C.S. Lewis never wrote that. Uh, but that notion behind that, this idea that you're going to shed your corporeal form for some higher form of existence a spiritoid, uh, some kind of a floating gas, uh, if you even imagine it, because then you start thinking, well, we're going to inhabit multiple dimensions, and we're going to touch the face of God, and it's also spiritual, we can't even imagine it. The Apostle Paul doesn't talk that way. Now, notice here, Zach, he goes back to all this original creation language, seeds and animals and birds and fish, and he's using a lot of uh, analogies. He's like, hey, you can see this in nature around you. This is stuff that God has already put in the world to give you an idea of what it's like. But then he says something like spiritual body, and in come a bunch of assumptions from a philosophy that Randy Alcorn is called Christoplatonism, Uh, this idea that the real world is just a dim shadow, like barely a flicker of actual reality, which you can't really touch because it's just so real, it's not even tangible. I I think that's put a lot of people off the idea of resurrection uh, and sent us into all these little rabbit trails about philosophy and analogy and other things. That the apostle paul doesn't even mean to get into uh, the apostle paul is talking about our bodies that are natural now meaning affected by sin but when he says something like spiritual body he's not saying your body vanishes into a puff of smoke and now you're just kind of a protoplasm it's a new kind of body a holy spirit powered body it's being affected and driven by god in a way that we just cannot do now uh, because we are affected by sin that's what he means too by Flesh and blood. This is not so much about the nature of immaterial, uh, but the fact uh, that your flesh, your body, everything, has been corrupted by sin. Uh, scripture just doesn't talk about us existing in some ghostly form or spiritoids, or uh, much less some unearthly existence. Uh, planet Earth and its redemption are always at the heart of the biblical narrative. Uh, go to Romans eight, and certainly Isaiah sixty. I don't think these are just talking about a millennial kingdom. Then everything uh, goes poof uh, in order to get transported to a heaven dimension forever and ever. Any millennial kingdom uh, is the early version of the new heavens and new earth, and and scripture is very clear in Revelation twenty one through twenty two about this being a physical place with real people walking on it with physical feet, probably bulletproof, <laughs> certainly upgraded in many ways uh, physically and spiritually, but not vanished into ghostly spiritoids.
1: The easiest way for me to make sense of this is right now we are embodied souls that that is we are a flesh and blood body wrapped around a soul but i think at the resurrection it reverses we are a spirit wrapped around a body (laughs) and so we are still embodied souls that fundamentally we don't change but it's sort of like the order or the shell or whatever that that i think of that change and I'm, i'm saying this kind of metaphorically but that's the only way i can make sense of it is that we will have an imperishable body. Well, how in the world does that happen? We're, we're still going to have flesh and bone, flesh and blood. And, and by the way, just a short tangent here. I'm very, very familiar with the teaching of Mormonism, which says that when we're resurrected, we have a body of flesh and bone, but not flesh and blood. And we are not saying that here. I don't know exactly the composition of our body, but I do know that Jesus ate fish. Pretty sure you need blood in your body to digest a fish when you're resurrected. So I think we'll still have an identically functioning body, but there's some new characteristic of it. And that's why I say it's instead of a body wrapped around a soul, it's a soul wrapped around a body, sort of like a force field. Because how else would biological matter be imperishable? Uh, Later, we're going to talk about how Jesus cannot die and he won't die. Well, just after this section, Stephen, in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, it says uh, our new bodies will be imperishable. And later on in Romans 6, 8 through 11, it talks about immortality, that we'll have an immortal body uh, just like Jesus. And, and by the way, that's my big assumption here, is that as Paul talks in here and in Romans and elsewhere about the new body that Jesus has, that we will have the same type of body. There will be some subtle differences, but I think the immortality is probably the least controversial thing I'm going to say today. And that's why I get the fact that we're going to be bulletproof. I think it's because of that spiritual layer that covers or or reinforces or something, the biological layer that makes it invincible essentially.
0: Yeah. I I think invincibility uh, is a natural conclusion. uh, If you'll pardon the word natural uh, from the phrase imperishable, nothing can kill you. Uh, That is certainly a superpower uh, that resurrected bodies are going to have. It is in fact, You have to believe that uh, because of the Bible's promise. Uh, Not only can nothing kill you, but nothing can injure you. Nothing can maim you. Uh, Nothing can even make you blink if you don't want to, uh, if you're living in in your resurrection body. And we'll we'll get to more of that in chapter two. Regarding the phrase uh, spiritual body, though, yeah, Zach, you're speculating about um, using words like force fields and metaphors and things like that. Uh, I don't know if it's so much about what happens to the human soul, which is something spiritual. And I, I don't even know then if you could speak of that in relation to a physical body. The words spiritual body, I think more than implies that the Holy Spirit has some kind of different relationship, not just with our souls, but with our bodies as well. This is a, this is a Holy, it's, it's, oh, it's almost as if the body's being held together by the Holy Spirit, a third person of the Trinity, three persons, one God. In a way that didn't happen before. Uh, the Apostle Paul doesn't go into that. Uh, he certainly uses a lot of metaphors, uh, which I think may encourage us to try our hand at some metaphors. The only difference is the Apostle Paul, Christians believe, is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this stuff, whereas we can only guess at some things. And of course, there's some guesswork going on here, uh, as well as with uh, Randy Alcorn, one of my favorite authors, who wrote a book called Heaven, which is uh, not so much about heaven, but also the new earth. Uh, he has explored a lot of misconceptions. That Christians have about the resurrection uh, and in an article called the spiritual body colon, a real body uh, he writes quote when Paul uses the term spiritual body in first Corinthians 15 44 he is not talking about a body made of spirit or an incorporeal body there is no such thing body means corporeal flesh and bones the word spiritual here is an adjective describing body not negating its meaning a spiritual body is first and foremost a real body or it would not qualify to be called a body." Paul could have simply said, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spirit, if that were the case. When Paul says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, he's referring to our flesh and blood as they are now, cursed and under sin. Our present bodies are fallen and destructible, but our future bodies, though still bodies in the fullest sense, will be untouched by sin and indestructible. They will be like Christ's resurrection body, both physical and indestructible. End quote. Get that link in the show notes. Uh, Zach, I I hear the voices of many listeners out there maybe still remembering uh, some notions they picked up from, I think, well-meaning Christian teachers and denominations, such as a line, I think, from a song called, This World Is Not My Home, I'm Just a Passing Through. I think if you were going to be raised to be a spirit in the future, yeah, you'd just be passing through. Your true home uh, is some uh, beyond space location uh, I almost, you know, pick, try to picture it. It's like floating out in a nebula somewhere, uh, just some, some void, a void ether, uh, type thing. Uh, and that's just not something that scripture uh, talks about. Uh, that is something I think that, uh, we imagined maybe trying to be more spiritual than God, or maybe we picked it up from a, a false, uh, fake Christian religion somewhere, or even got uh, a bit of, um, a new age teaching or Buddhism that acts like you're going to be dissolved and then you're going to become more powerful because you are without shape. Uh, You're at one with the universe or something.
1: You know, just assuming the best here, I I think that what most people mean when they say that is that this current life is just a temporary chapter in our existence. The next chapter where we will be in heaven is much better. and, And our life doesn't end at death. Um, Absolutely, Stephen, I, I mean, I, and I'll just put my cards on the table. I was at a funeral this week. And so I was thinking mm-hmm. quite a bit about this uh, yesterday, but I, I think that's also not the last chapter because we see in revelation 19, Jesus returning to the earth with the saints and people given their resurrected bodies to rule on the earth. But yes, there is a chapter in between where we are in bodiless form in heaven as souls but the interesting thing is when you look in Revelation, and John has the vision of the saints who were martyred for their faith, but particularly the ones who were beheaded in the tribulation period, which is time travel in a sense. It's, that's another thing. But he was able to recognize people. So they weren't just blobs of light floating around. They, they still had physical form, albeit just in a spiritual form because they didn't have bodies. But yes, that that is a temporary chapter. That's chapter two in between chapter one that we're in now and then chapter three when heaven comes to earth and we are here physically, but immortally.
0: Yeah, preach it. Absolutely. Christians now who have died uh, do not have their bodies, but they're looking forward to them. Uh, The Apostle Paul is most clear about this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he's using the metaphor of being clothed and unclothed. He said, okay. If I compare my body to clothes, paraphrasing here, and if I die and be with the Lord, then what I'm looking forward is not to being unclothed, but to being further clothed. In other words, he's looking forward to being resurrected, uh, being re-embodied uh, now with his super body, his uh, Holy Spirit powered body, the spiritual body, uh, in order to do new earthly things for the glory of God. He's not looking forward to floating around, although being with, uh, being with Christ is far better but he's looking forward to resurrection. I think this too is kind of a corrective to another myth that we hear, uh, the idea that the Bible warns against trying to imagine heaven or the new heavens and new earth. I've encountered this so often, and I was really grateful when Alcorn headed it off, uh, even at the back of the book, where he's like, well, Christians warn against this by saying, uh, well, the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind is conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. And then Alcorn says, yeah, that's from, I believe, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Uh, Finish the sentence. It goes on and says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Not talking about whatever awaits in the afterlife. He's talking about the gospel, the fullest revelation of what God was planning all along to save his people. So that verse is technically being taken out of context. There are certainly some unbiblical or even Uh, heretical ways that we can imagine uh, the afterlife or heaven or the new earth. Uh, But trying to imagine them biblically is not only okay, but encouraged. And I think that works even better if you're not imagining some unearthly existence as if you hate your body or you hate the world and you just want to go somewhere else, some other planet or other dimension If you imagine things rightly, then you're going to in the right way in a Christ centered worshipful way. You're going to love is creation you're going to respect the material world that god respects and loves because he made it as cs lewis said god likes matter he invented it i think you're going to have a right ordering of how you look at creation and how you even look at human bodies uh, if you understand the biblical truth about this
1: yeah it, it's so interesting stephen that you have heard this verse in the context of people saying we shouldn't imagine it i don't think i've ever heard it said that way but it seems like that's come up a lot in your your life and experience Where I've always heard this verse, and actually this is one of the very first verses I heard when I became a Christian, my Young Life leader shared this with me and encouraged me to read the Bible, read the New Testament for myself. And he quoted this verse as a way to say, you can't imagine what God has in store for you. Your new life in Christ is going to be so much greater than what you can even think right now it's going to be. And I think that's okay as a sort of an encouraging word. I, I think it's a little sentimental now that I look at it. Because if you look at this verse in the, my favorite translation, the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, which was translated from the original manuscripts, it says, what no eye has seen, yep. no ear has heard, and no human heart is conceived. God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit.
0: There you go. Amen. the Spirit
1: searches everything. So I, I think the way that it sort of sentence. clarified that, <laughs> yes. So there, there's a reference here to Isaiah 52 and 64. What Paul is saying is what the prophets could only get a glimpse of, you know, what Isaiah couldn't conceive of and what he certainly never saw. That is what we are experiencing now.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's the the text is emphasizing the completion of something, the resolution of a plot. Uh, not an open-ended uh, story that we don't know the end of. It's not uh, emphasizing that there. And it's certainly not warning uh, against trying to imagine. Uh, this sort of this hush-hush, don't-talk uh, censorship about uh, biblical speculation about the New Earth. Uh, that's, yeah, that's certainly not a founding principle at Haven or this podcast. So we feel free to imagine. Uh, we feel free even to speculate so long as we start with biblical texts, uh, rightly uh, taught and biblical hints drawn from across the scripture. So we'll go into that territory just now. I warned at the top of the show that, yes, uh, Christians look forward to resurrection, uh, to reign on new earth, but uh, nonbelievers face a more sobering future. And that's more than hinted at in our second sponsor, Infernal Fall by Brian Timothy Mitchell. The Infernal Fall audiobook is out. And to celebrate, Descendant Publishing is giving away 100 free codes through Spotify. Enter the giveaway before July 7th at bryantimothymitchell.com for a chance to hear James L. Rubart narrate Brian's debut novel. In this modern twist on Dante's Inferno, Daniel Strong is ready to propose marriage until he falls into hell, where a demon plans to take him from the valley of the fiery mountain through the city of Grayton and on to Satan. Another spirit wants to save him, but to escape, Daniel needs to get right with God. While hell feeds his rage, the engagement ring in his pocket reminds him to never lose hope. We've got all those purchase links, and you can learn more information about Infernal Fall by Brian Timothy Mitchell in our show notes for this episode, 157. Zach, uh, some emphasis in that story on Satan. Uh, I remember Alcorn actually speculates that one villain we could blame for some deceitful teaching or some of the don't talk about it expectations among Christians could be the devil. Uh, Randy Alcorn says, you know, who benefits from Christians not looking forward to heaven or even feeling a little scared about the subject or maybe even perish the thought, liking their lives on earth more than the new life that God has promised for his people? Randy Alcorn asks, who benefits? Well, it's probably Satan. I think otherwise, it's just people who are trying to follow the Bible, who are trying to be good humans, who are trying to worship God uh, and not trespass on stuff that God hasn't told us. But there are things that God has told us, and it's perfectly fine to walk there on. Chapter two of this discussion, speaking of walking, is how will resurrection bodies be perfectly human? That's the normal stuff I was talking about earlier. I, I came up with this phrase, "perfectly human," to emphasize that we will still be human beings. We won't have wings like angels. I, I highly doubt. Uh, other than being imperishable, indestructible, I think if you saw a person who had been resurrected, uh, at first they might look very normal. Especially if you're resurrected too. Do they glow? Do they have a, a halo effect? Yes. I don't know. Okay. Yes. yes we'll glow. Okay, but if everybody's glowing, then nothing really looks like it's glowing. So nah, again, well, some imagination there. You know, I I am certain though that everybody will be more robust. Uh, in fact, uh, Lewis, oddly enough, despite like uh, giving some overtures to Christoplatonism at the end of the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Lewis has a great view of resurrection, uh, and that's pretty apparent in his uh, book The Great Divorce, which is intentionally an allegory because it has like non-resurrected people coming to this uh, resurrected version of Earth and meeting uh, resurrected saints. And he has this metaphor of just the the resurrected saints being more solid. The whole world is more solid. In fact, it's so solid that if you're not resurrected, you are basically you are the ghost. You can't even walk on the grass without maybe cutting to your feet to pieces. You can walk on the river. Because it's solid to you, you won't sink into it, but it's rippling and moving so quickly that it's basically a conveyor belt and you don't want to get tangled up in it. A lot of imagination there, but I use the words uh, perfectly human to mean that we are perfected humans. Before we start talking about superpowers or even our imperishable nature, um, as you were saying earlier, Zach, we're we're human beings. We're still going to do human stuff. And it uh, is still, though, a super version of what we do now. Like, for example, alive human beings now can live for a fixed length of time, whereas in the resurrection we'll be living forever. Uh, Today, human beings can enjoy food and drink. As you mentioned, Jesus ate fish in his perfect resurrected body. Uh, But in the future, I think we're going to be able to also enjoy food and drink. We just won't have any of the problems associated with that, whether it's temptations about food Drunkenness, yeah, uh, drunkenness, not drunk. certainly not. It'll all be
1: uh, synthehol,
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> or it will be. Or mm, here's another topic. Or it will be real. But no one will be tempted toward drunkenness. Nobody will feel anything more than the joy of the Lord for real. But certainly, talking about food, will they be pizza in the new heavens and new earth? Oh, what an unspiritual question! No, I, I don't think so. It'll just be the best pizza ever. And it'll be almost like the myth about eating fairy food. Once you eat fairy food, you can't eat real food. I don't think that that is specifically mentioned in Scripture, but you know that there will be a feast of some kind. There's the marriage feast of the Lamb. Why should that not be literal? Why should that not be ongoing? Uh, The Old Testament prophecies are talking about people harvesting grapes and things like that. Certainly a a reference to some kind of beverage there will be able to enjoy food without temptations uh, or without uh, illness or allergies or anything like that. And whereas today we are subject to futility in our lives, just like creation is, it says in Romans 8, in the new heavens and new earth, in our resurrected bodies, we will have purpose. That's one thing. It's so, such an ordinary thing, Zach, that I really look forward to just no loss of a sense of purpose ever. No boredom, no confusion you will wake up every day and you'll know exactly what it is you're supposed to do. To will glorify you go to sleep though? Jesus? I don't, I don't think. Oh, sleep. absolutely. No. I, why, why should there not be sleep? I think here's, here's where I, here's where I go with this. Generally, if Adam and Eve would have done it in the garden of Eden, and it's not therefore a sinful thing, then I want a clear and direct scripture that spells out the exception. For example, There would have been other things that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden while they were getting to know one another. But Jesus is pretty clear that in some way, marriage is fulfilled, not annulled, but fulfilled in the new heavens and new earth. The concept has come to an end because it's been fulfilled with Christ's marriage to the church. Not you personally, uh, but to the church uh, collectively. So in some way, human marriages uh, are fulfilled. So there's an exception. But Adam and Eve would have slept. They would have hung around with animals. Uh, you would have gotten to take a ride on a Triceratops. Uh, why shouldn't you do these things in the new heavens and new earth? I'll tell you why. Okay. Because
1: they did not eat from the tree of life. So well, they yes. did not have immortality the way that we're going to have immortality.
0: Yes. But it, does may, that mean. May they,
1: well, they wouldn't have died. Sleep
0: is sinful. Yeah. But does that mean that the sleep cycle, like the human, wh- why should the human body need no sleep at all? Why should sleep not be a gift of God just as it is now, especially after a very hard day of new earth adventures.
1: So I, I don't think Adam and Eve is the right analogy. First of all, just because they never ate from the tree of life. So it's sort of a uh, apples and oranges. I get them. it.
0: Apples. and Yeah. Except that we, we're not <laughs> told
1: the tree yeah. of the tree of life or
0: the tree of knowledge and, and, apples on it. That's a, that's a medieval thing. No, I, I'm not saying that, Oh, we're going to be just like them. I'm saying that I, I, would need a reason why a yeah. human thing to do like sleep would not be in the new heavens and new earth. I'm looking I, I for think a verse it, that says that specifically.
1: Well, I don't know that I can do it that specifically. I'm, I'm trying to think of the verse where I believe it's Paul says like, you know, now is the time to work while it's day. Uh, night is coming when we can no longer work. And, and he's talking about the work of evangelism because that'll be over when Christ comes back. Right. But also in Hebrews, it talks about entering into his rest. And so I think when we get our resurrected bodies, that's, that's our completed self that no longer you know, can't die, doesn't get sick, can't get hurt. And so I think don't get tired goes along with that because that's one of those functions of our bodies now that it's weakness. Like Paul talks about a body is sown weakness, it's raised in strength. I just don't think our bodies will be weak in the sense that we will need to sleep for one-third of the day.
0: Interesting. Now, I don't view sleep necessarily as a symptom of weakness and therefore a symptom of the fall. Again, using just the reasoning that Adam and Eve presumably would have slept, but irrespective of the fact that they were not immortal, there was still no sin in the world. It was still a pre-fall world, and presumably they would have had evening and morning, evening and morning, morning, and God himself setting the example, by the way, to rest on the seventh day in a world before sin, rest, that kind of rest, presumably involving but not limited to sleep, is presented as a healthy thing. Human beings would need to rest, but not because they're weak or suffering or something like that, uh, just as they would need food, just as we will need, I think, oxygen. Um, we'll get to some test cases here in a moment, you know, okay, what would happen if you did this and you couldn't breathe? I don't know. Uh, but I don't think it's a sign of weakness and therefore sin or suffering to need food, water, oxygen, rest. I think that's basic, basic humanity. Today, we're vulnerable to injury and disease and things. And we, tomorrow we will be uh, invincible, imperishable. I think it's basically the same word there but I, I don't think that means that we'll just be able to stay awake all the time. Uh, Frank, I mean, maybe we could, you know, pull an all nighter if you're working on a newer spaceship or something, but I think that the work rest rhythm is intrinsic to creation. You could run a marathon one day and then get tired out uh, and then, and then sleep and worship just as much by sleeping as you would uh, worship being awake. Anyway, that's uh that's something Christians can speculate about either way. The Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't speak to that specifically. I think the most important thing here is that part of being perfectly human after the resurrection uh, is the Apostle Paul's emphasis, where he says, yes, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Uh, the natural body that's been corrupted by sin. Of course, you can't bring that with you. The most important part of resurrection is that today we are subject to temptation and sin, but tomorrow we will be perfect that being imperishable means that everything sinful every temptation and every result of sin uh, like suffering and illness and mortality all of those consequences are removed Uh, you are now perfected to be like jesus now i guess we'll get to that in a moment zach because i don't know if we'll be able to do everything jesus can do uh, because i think we are limited to god's communicable attributes instead of his incommunicable attributes
1: well i i think this resistance to sin is we we shouldn't understate that because that is a kind of moral power that we don't have now. I mean, that is a superpower. It is to be able to completely forever resist temptation. Praise God. We will not sin ever again in our resurrected bodies. Also
0: bonus. There's no temptations either because the devil's down in hell and he's never coming back out.
1: Yes. Although again, I'm, we're thinking about different phases of the new earth, like I'm thinking about the millennial kingdom, you're thinking about after that. And that's fine. But I, I think the real key to understanding this is 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where Paul says, for now we only see a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. So I, I think we will have some kind of supernatural knowledge. Maybe not, I, I don't think we'll have omniscience, but I think we will have all the knowledge we will need to see everything clearly and also the new body that's not tempted to not ever fall again to one of the devil's schemes. And that's incredible. I mean, just that in and of itself is, is amazing to think about.
0: Yeah, that's the superpower we know we're going to have. Uh, I, I would say not even resistance to temptation, but we are temptation proof.
1: Yeah, immunity. That's, that's more what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Tempt- sin immunity. Uh, our our immune systems will be Holy Spirit powered in a way that we were only training for now. Uh, it's not a water resistant watch. It is a waterproof watch. That cleans up a, a lot of the issues there. Just knowing that, yes, we, we are not only imperishable physically, but imperishable spiritually.
1: Okay, I do want to go back to something I, I said earlier about, yes, we will glow in heaven. So this is an interesting little tangent here. This comes from uh, Robert J. Morgan. We'll link this in the show notes. Uh, He worked with the Billy Graham crusades and he says, uh, we may have a luminescent quality to us in first Corinthians 15. uh, Paul talks about one of the differences being uh, of our spiritual body, their glow and their glory. We see hints of this in Exodus 34, when Moses spent time with the Lord and he came back down, people couldn't look at him directly. He was shining and he had to like wear something to cover that in Luke nine. Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus was also changed, and they were, you know, luminescent to where Peter, James, and John like couldn't look directly at him. In uh, Acts nine, Paul uh, sees Jesus, and he's blinded by it. Now, again, that's a quality of Jesus. We may not have that same quality, but in Daniel twelve three, it says about the resurrected saints: those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And in Matthew 13, 43, it says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And indeed, in Revelation 21, we see that in the New Jerusalem, it will not need the light of the sun and the moon. That doesn't say that there will be no sun and moon and stars, that we won't need it because the glory of the Lord will shine there. Well, how does the glory of the Lord shine? It shines through his saints. And yes, I think there will also be some iridescent quality or something where his glory is just everywhere visibly. But I think also he will shine through us. And I think we're, we're going to be our own sort of flashlights, kind of kind of walking lanterns in a sense. And the funny thing about this, Stephen, is I was thinking back to that Disney movie from the early 2000s, Sky High, and there was a uh, sidekick in there named Zach, which is awesome. He's also very tall, but he's blonde and he wears these neon yellow clothes. And he's like, Oh, I've got this awesome superpower. And everyone's like, well, what is it? He's like, just wait till we turn off the lights or just kind of cup your hand around me. And they're like, what? He's like, I glow. (laughs) He's so excited about it. And it's like the lamest superpower until they need it. And they're crawling through the ductwork or something. And they're like, Oh, now we can see. Thanks, Zach. And (laughs) like, it's just so funny, uh, just like this minor superpower. But I think that is a really important thing. I'll put this in the maybe column. I don't exactly know how that'll work, but I think that we will have some sort of quality to us, uh, some sort of luminescent quality.
0: I agree with that. And I think it'd be kind of funny then if those medieval artists who were always putting halos all over everything uh, ended (laughs) up to be correct in a way. Now that there's nothing in scripture that even talks about angels having halos uh, that I can remember. Uh, You may have certainly a a glowing light effect, uh, certainly with with the creatures around the throne. And that may be another hint uh, that beings who are now being uh, made for eternity to worship Jesus uh, have some kind of luminescent quality to them. So I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, if that's one of our other superpowers, if you can call it a superpower, because everybody will have it. But then again, everybody will be immortal. So what was super before uh, is now completely normal. It's just part of being perfectly human. Uh, I wonder, though, Zach, uh, I've got a few challenges here. Because you can imagine, because this is a new heavens, and new earth, a physical place uh, with physical high places and physical low places and places that are watery and places that are dry. Uh, What would happen then if you were in a resurrected body and you just decided, okay, I'm going to see how far I can push this video game. And I dive underwater. What if I try to breathe in the ocean? What's going to happen?
1: I don't know. You can teleport out of there. That's what you'll do.
0: Well, of course. Uh, Well, you have (laughs) have gone too far in the game map, and you should turn back. If you don't turn back, you're going to uh, reload at your last saved point. Uh, I don't think that our divine programmer is going to have such a small open world as that. Uh, Everything will be accounted for, every possibility. Uh, You may be greatly amused. Does an angel suddenly arrive to fish you out and say, naughty, naughty? Well, of course not. You can't be (laughs) naughty. It's the new heavens and new earth. Will you just breathe in the water and turn into a fish? I don't know. Uh, I I just, I don't know. But there's got to be some kind of explanation other than you suddenly ceasing to be human uh, whenever you do something that will kill a human. It seems weird to think of you suddenly developing gills at that very moment. And it just, it messes with the human nature. I think that limits in the human person are a good thing, not a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I don't think we can shape, shape shift into other animals like uh, my favorite Childhood movie from Disney, uh, The Sword in the Stone, where uh, King Arthur and Merlin turn into fish and they swim around or they turn into squirrels and climb around. I I don't think we're going to be able to do things like that.
0: It would be a loss of glory for one thing. Human beings are unique being made in the image of God.
1: I think, though, if if we fall into the ocean, I I do think actually we will be able to teleport out. I think there's some hints of this in Luke 24 when uh, Jesus is walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus and he's in disguise. And so that's another aspect is that maybe we can disguise ourselves. And it says their eyes were opened and then he disappeared from their presence. So, and then in John uh, 20, 19, uh, Jesus appeared to them, with with the doors locked, it's not that he walked through walls. He just teleported through the wall. So I, I think that's going to be one of our superpowers. Possibly again, this is in the maybe column. I don't know that we'll have all the same powers as Jesus. But we did see Jesus using this power of teleportation, but also in Acts 8, uh, when Philip met the Ethiopian, explained the gospel to him, baptized him, it says the Spirit took him away. Now, maybe that's just kind of narrative summary, like, oh, and then he just kind of left. But it could also be some kind of supernatural means of transport where he was just Take it away.
0: I'm from the supernatural means of transport there because it's a very specific scenario. And I think, by the way, the very specific scenario might address some of those things. Again, I'm on the pro-perfectly human side where human limits are good. Uh, You are unlimited to be a limited human, uh, which I think might might push back in a friendly way against uh, some of the over-speculation that whatever Jesus did, just after his resurrection we're going to get to do two uh, just for kicks uh, but i'll get to that in a moment first let's go to our final sponsor for this episode it is the realm makers conference they've been running over 10 years now the christian-led organization realm makers hundreds of writers who create fantasy science fiction and other stories will join this organization for its 11th annual conference this july 13th through 15th in st louis missouri Authors can register at realmmakers.com for the event. You can choose to attend in person. It's at the Sheraton Westport Chalet Hotel in St. Louis, or you can live stream the event on the dedicated Realm Sphere social network, says co-owner and CEO Rebecca P. Minor. We at Realm Makers have enjoyed the privilege for over a decade of connecting Christian creators to one another and to opportunities in the publishing marketplace. We're not just about bringing expert faculty to the conference for teaching, although that's one of the pillars of what we do. We've also discovered that a writer's success is tied into relationships one way or another. The annual conference offers a supportive environment where authors can take the next step in their creative journey. You can register at realmmakers.com or get the basic link in our show notes for episode 157. Let's go now to chapter three. How may resurrection bodies act supernaturally? Of course, we've already made a flying leap into this topic just a bit. I still, to reiterate, I like to emphasize the normal human stuff just so we don't jump to the fantastical stuff too quickly uh, or uh, do the thing that scripture warns elsewhere not to do, despise the day of small things. I like to ask, what would a redeemed writers conference look like in the new heavens and new earth? Would every single manuscript get accepted for publication? I don't think so. Would there still be gatekeepers? It's not St. Peter at the pearly gates, but you still got agents and publishers and folks you know, saying, well, I think this needs some work. Or would you get that perfect American or new earth novel right on the first try? I don't think so. Because Zach, again, human limitations, not everyone's going to have the same amount of talent. Uh, The same amount of time to cultivate that talent, some people get a head start, maybe because they spent a few thousand years uh, working on some other career. Uh, Others will have more natural talents. There's human limits here, just like you can't dive underwater and automatically start breathing oxygen, uh, so you can't automatically become an amazing writer just by thinking about it. It's not a sin to be limited in some way, and therefore it's not a sin for us not to be omniscient like God. The only thing that scripture promises, as you mentioned, is we we will be imperishable. Which means that, uh, I mean, I don't know what to do with, about ocean water or, for example, what if you were in a spaceship and opened the airlock? Uh, what's going to happen there if you don't have oxygen? I think the easiest thing to answer is what happens if you jump off a cliff uh, for the fun of it and you don't have a parachute? I think you punch the ground. I, I think that's pretty obvious there. You're indestructible.
1: Nope. I, I'll tell you what happens. You're flying horse from Revelation 19 that you came back to the Earth with your flying horse will come rescue you. That's okay. It. That's a good one too.
0: Or, or, or would the, would the guardian angels or, or just any angels still be around, uh, constantly picking up the humans yeah. that the scripture doesn't talk yeah, a whole lot about angel human relations in the new heavens and new earth. There's a lot of human emphasis there.
1: Yeah. I, so this is again, where thinking back to Superman's powers, the, the ability to fly, I think is a maybe for us because we see the flying horse in revelation 19. And then in Acts one, nine, at the ascension, Jesus was taken up in a cloud. So he was, he physically flew off the earth and also he walked on water so he could levitate. So again, will we have these powers? Maybe I I we will get into that. I think with, with the verse in a minute, I think it's certainly a possibility. So I, I don't think we, if we fall, we're like, Oh, well, I'll just fly back up or levitate or my horse will come get me.
0: Okay. So here's my response to, well, Jesus did it a few times after the resurrection, and therefore, we'll get to have these superpowers uh, as, a, as a normal day-to-day expectation. You know, Jesus apparated through a wall and said greetings to his apostles, and, and they were scared, and then he showed them, hey, no, it's really me. I've got the wounds and everything. Don't doubt. Just believe. I think Jesus did that for a very particular purpose. Same with the two on the road to Emmaus. Uh, same with, of course, his ascension. Very particular purposes there. What would be the purpose, then, of flying uh, normally in New Heavens and New Earth? The reversal of that normal human limitation, gravity, uh, is a good thing, not a sinful thing. I would say that if we do that sort of thing, it'd be the exception. It'd be for a particular purpose. We won't have to prove any resurrection to anyone, but again, it's about that uh, sense of New Earth purpose that we're going to have. If you're doing something, a project, an adventure, an engineering thing, then okay, and you need to levitate, then I'm guessing there'll be some way you get up there. Uh, But I don't know if that's an automatic superpower we got.
1: So here's the purpose that I think that there will be in that, why we will have these powers in Genesis one, he says, rule over the beasts of the earth, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Now we can sort of do that with technology, but I think then in the resurrection, we'll have something beyond technology. I think we will have these perfected immortal, possibly superpowered bodies, maybe we'll also have technology, but I think we won't necessarily need it. I I don't think like like your example of like if I fell off a cliff, would I and I didn't have a parachute, would I die, or would I just bounce around oh, or
0: jumped on purpose to see what would happen. Yes. I, yeah, I, I see, think I, you I leave a think... new resurrected body shaped hole in the ground, like Wiley <laughs> Coyote. Uh, and then the rocks I mean, rain on possible, your head and you're but... okay.
1: I, I think God wants us to rule over the earth, but I also think he wants us to enjoy the earth. And I think flying around, we will enjoy him. Just like Eric Little says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so I, I think soaring around the earth or swimming underwater without you know being able to hold your breath indefinitely um, as a way to enjoy God's creation. I mean, you think about the oceans. We are only just now you know, with these undersea robots, seeing these crazy, weird things on the bottom of the ocean, th- there's so much we haven't ever explored. I don't think we will be able to make technology good enough to take people down there, build cities, at least not yet. I think God wants us to explore this whole earth, and I think we will be able to supernaturally do that.
0: I hear that point, and yet I caught you saying something earlier, I want to bring this up for more debate. You said maybe we'll have technology. Why presume that's a maybe? I I think that there's a lot greater case to make that we absolutely will have technology, picking up right where we left off, by the way. Uh, We don't have to reinvent the wheel, literally. Uh, I think there's a much stronger (laughs) case, biblically, for having technology than having a daily use of of superpowers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true, I mean, it says the kings of the Earth will bring their treasure to the New Jerusalem to, include to the sea the smartphone and so everything that can include transportation right, that can right. include you know all, all kinds of things objects so there there's physical things that we will have and use, and so maybe a better way of saying that is we might not need technology to rule over the birds of the air or the fish of the sea, maybe we'll be able to do that just without the aid of technology, but I think that we could still create it. I think that we will have underwater cities just like the Gungans have in that amazing star Wars prequel. I
0: was thinking of Atlantis <laughs> from that uh, amazing DC oh, yes. movie we never got, but I mean the Atlantis in yeah. the actual Aquaman movie we did get was pretty cool. <laughs> kind of, kind of some new earth vibes there uh, only with a lot less uh, warfare going on. Yeah, I I think if it's it's a basic command that God has given us, the the cultural mandate of Genesis 128, then we would need to have the equipment to start doing that immediately because we can only do it in limited ways now. But I I do see a place, though, for progressive development in human civilization. Uh, I don't think we'll automatically be able to go to the furthest ends of the universe uh, from day one of the, the resurrected kingdom, the new heavens and new earth. I think that those places will remain limited, just like the deepest trenches of the ocean, uh, just because we've got millennia to work on this stuff. Uh, There is a project of going outward then, assuming uh, from the new heavens and new earth, or more from new earth into the new heavens. So that's why I also think that we're not going to have a whole lot of space travel now. Because it's so limited. Uh, will the quality of space be transformed? Uh, will there be like this medieval ether finally in space? I don't know. It's all speculation here. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't think we'll be able to go down to the, to the ocean, certainly not without some kind of technology. And, and yet, I think that any technological development we have will feel much more natural. will feel much more of, of, of like an a extension of humanity rather than some tangle of metal in uh, circuits that you that we're stick on yourself. To. Right. Because everything will be done for God's glory with no potential for sinfully abusing these things. You won't be testing it out on lab rats because there's no animal death either. Uh, we'll be much, much, much smarter than ever. And of course, perfect scientific cooperation without any economic limitations either. So it, it almost seems then um, unnecessary to ask, I would say, about superpowers, just knowing that I am certain. The technological enhancements uh, are going to be so quick and I think so natural that we may as well feel like we're getting superpowers anyway.
1: All right. So First John 3, 1 through 3 says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Okay, so this is the verse, particularly that middle section, why I think we will have all the same qualities in our bodies that Jesus has currently in his body. Now again, I don't think that's the same thing as saying we will have all the same qualities as God the Father, like omniscience, omnipotence, and so forth. But a lot of this goes back to Saint Aquinas wrote about this. This goes back to an article I found from Voyage Comics by Matt Chicoin. I hope I said that right. And we'll link to this in the show notes. And Saint Thomas Aquinas said that there's four qualities. This is in um Summa Contra Gentiles 4. He says we'll have the impassibility, the subtlety, the agility, and the clarity in our, in our resurrected bodies. The same as Christ. So impassibility is incorruptible. That's what we talked about, immortality. We'll have Subtlety is also phasing the ability to move through matter like Jesus walked through the wall or teleported. Agility is like super speed. So that's how G- Jesus leaves them suddenly in Emmaus or he walked on water. And then clarity is a brightness that's like glowing. You know this thinking goes back quite a ways, right? This goes back to the the church fathers have thought about this. You know they didn't have superhero comics or whatever, but this is a really good article that uh, talks about those possibilities. I think though the key is what he what John says: when he appears, we shall be like him. And in First Corinthians uh, fifteen, which we talked about, he says, "In the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed." So I, I think it's just he snaps his fingers. And, and we have that same body that Jesus has with the same types of powers.
0: I don't think you can get that idea from this verse or this text for one simple reason. Uh, the preceding verses in 1 John 2 and then 1 John 3, 4, right after this section, are specifically setting up the context of Christ's sinless perfection. So it's much more about hoping for a life beyond sin and beyond temptation, uh, being immune to sin, as we were talking about earlier. And that's what the Apostle John here is encouraging his readers to hope in. He's not talking so much about Christ's uh, uh, direct physical abilities, uh, intangibility and whatnot, but talking about Christ's perfection. I think that when it says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I think that's a reference to looking at Christ and being made spiritually perfect. Uh, We're immune to sin. We're immune to temptation. That's why the next phrase says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So I guess we we might have those characteristics of Christ, uh, either by exception or by a a daily expectation. But I think this is much more about that final hope of sanctification.
1: Yeah. I don't think we'll have all the same powers. Like, will we control the weather and be able to? Calm storms? Probably not. I think that's kind of a maybe. I don't see that as a quality of Jesus' body as much as God's power over nature. So, and I don't think we'll have like telekinesis or, you know, we talked about shape shifting. I also don't think we'll have like offensive weaponry. Uh, Like I said, laser eyes. I think that's in the no column. Now, again, I do think there is going to be this period where we will be ruling on the earth with Jesus, ruling over angels and ruling over unsaved people that remain after Jesus' return until Satan is locked away forever. And I think one of the powers that we'll have, and I think there's a very good support for this in Scripture, is the ability to heal other people. Jesus gave that ability temporarily to his apostles when he sent them out, two by two. They cast out demons, they, they healed people. And then even after he ascended, they at times they are able to heal people. Now, not always, Because we see Paul tell Timothy, oh, drink a little wine for your stomach ache. He didn't tell Timothy, hey, just put your hand on your stomach and heal yourself or get another apostle to heal you. So, you know, those healing powers were kind of hit and miss and it's like they had some kind of missional purpose to them. But I think after the resurrection, I think we will permanently have that power because we've already seen him extend that power to his people at times. Now. Okay. I, I think we have to talk about something else. though. So with, with all these maybe powers, I, I think the problem is we, we project our current thinking onto the resurrection oh, thing. Oh, we'll just fly around for fun or heal people yeah. or, or, you know, just do all these weird things just for the heck of it. Well, I, I don't think there is for a heck of it. No, it's <laughs> the the purpose resurrection.
0: directed. Uh, I yeah. don't want to say purpose driven, but it really will be purpose driven there. Your purpose right. is to fulfill the creation mandate to glorify Jesus.
1: Yeah, so I, I don't think we can say well why would we have these powers and use them senselessly? I I don't think we'll do anything senselessly, but I don't think that negates the ability to have these powers and use them.
0: Okay. So uh, that's fair. And just to reiterate, I, I I I frankly, does that get weirded out by millennial literal millennial kingdom discussion about ruling <laughs> over non-believers? I just I don't see that emphasized in in scripture i guess maybe i'm cheating here but that's why i just want to skip to the new heavens and new earth and not split the resurrection three ways till sunday uh pun intended there um the scripture seems to present resurrection as a final single event everybody gets resurrected all at once uh whereas if you if you put a rapture which is kind of a resurrection before or in the middle of the tribulation that's a resurrection stage one And then you have another one when Jesus physically returns to earth at stage two. Then you wait a thousand years, have a devil rebellion, poof, all up in smoke. Uh, Armageddon 2.0 failed hard. Uh, Task failed spectacularly. And then you get a resurrection (laughs) stage three. Well, you just split it up into three stages. And that uh, doesn't even include what other weirdness uh, went on when the saints came out of their graves. A brief mention, I think, in the Gospel of Matthew when Christ resurrected. Uh, no, no, it's when he died, actually. It's like people are coming out of their graves and you get kind of the best kind of zombies going on. I don't know what to make of that. It's a weird part of scripture, so I don't deny that there's weird stuff in scripture. But once you really start adapting the, some of the millennial kingdom speculations to fiction, it just you just run into too many weirdnesses. But we're going to have to save that for our, for our millennium episode because otherwise this episode will go on for a thousand years. Any other closing thoughts, Uh, I guess I'm thinking, I mean, I already mentioned uh, technologies that could give us superpowers, which I I like that it kind of resolves things. Uh, We get to fulfill the creation mandate. We're making technology is a good human thing to do, just like having limits like sleep and needing food and drink uh, and the company of other people like that is a human thing to do. I wouldn't even want to talk about it like a limit. It's just the way that we're made. I think the other thing that we we disregard is the fact that there will still be miracles in the new heavens and new earth. Like I'm talking about baseline human stuff, but when could you get a miracle? You know, I I have no doubt that those will be daily, but with purpose as well, Uh, whether or not it involves a direct intervention by Jesus or uh, angels or something like either way, we're going to have the supernatural world coming to life every day. But if it is just a matter of having a superpower that's intrinsic to your resurrection body. Like I think that that could get inhuman pretty quickly. And I don't know if it's uh, that big of a case to be made that um, Aquinas or somebody uh, thought that that would be because there was a lot of crystal assumptions that even early church fathers fell into. Uh, it doesn't mean they were wrong. Uh, it just means that uh, maybe they weren't thinking about things as physically oriented as they should have. I think the most important thing here is that whether normal or superpowered, uh, resurrected saints will be indestructible, immune to sin, will still be human, perfectly human, and will at least be like Jesus in that we are like him, perfected spiritually, and any gifts that God gives us, uh, spiritual or physical, we will have whatever we need to glorify him and spread his kingdom, not just on new earth, uh, but into the new heavens.
1: Thinking about these things is really fun because... In the world, we see governments and scientists trying to recreate these sort of things. It's sort of a, a false immortality. I, I came upon this really interesting document, Stephen. It's, it's from the, the Defense Intelligence Agency. And they looked back at these documents from the Soviet era where the, um, these Russian scientists were trying to Give people the power to shoot lightning out of their hands and and heal people with uh, biological energy fields and all this weird psychic power kind of stuff. And the CIA was also dabbling in this. And, you know, I don't know if any of this has any basis in reality or if it's all just disinformation, sort of like spy versus spy kind of thing. But they they certainly talked a lot about it. Uh, But nowadays we see this sort of same approach through genetic modification. We talk with Candace Cade. Couple episodes ago, about her book Enhanced and this kind of future China where everyone uses uh, CRISPR gene editing technology. And nowadays, scientists think they can this is an article from Big Think. They think they can uh, create unbreakable bones, incredible vision, super strength, uncanny flexibility, resistance to poison, super speed, perfect memory recall. Again, these are all things that Christ is going to more or less give us at the resurrection. And I don't think we'll be able to shoot lightning out of our hands, but would we really need to? You know, uh, is is that what people think is powerful? You know, again, what I think is truly powerful is that complete immunity to sin, but also ruling the earth with Christ. Like he is going to rule the earth and we are, you know, sub rulers with him. It can't really get any more powerful than that. I mean, he's going to have complete control over all the affairs of man and we're going to be part of his kingdom. You know, do we, do we need unbreakable bones to do, do? we need all these other things? Like, uh, so, you know, I would just say we have to resist this temptation to think we're the only ones that can save ourselves. And we have to design and engineer these sort of immortality genes and, and super powered, you know, abilities for ourselves. We, we don't have to worry about that. Like, Christ is going to take care of this in a much better way.
0: Amen. I can't think of a better way to end. Amen times 10. Well, here on old earth, uh, we're still doing uh, less spectacular uh, missions uh, with the Lorehaven project at lorehaven.com. Uh, just last Friday, a uh, good Friday, actually, uh, we reviewed Mary Schlegel's epic fantasy novel, son of the shield. And this Monday, past Monday, Elijah David has uh, his last article in the I'll Never Grow Too Old for Narnia series exploring Lewis's last battle, which he says taught him how to long for resurrection's light. Uh, No matter how dark it gets on this old world, uh, the new world is coming. Uh, Either this week or next week, we will publish that article from uh, newcomer A.D. Sheehan, who's writing about how Christians who feel media malaise can find buried treasure in older books. If you want updates for when those release or any of our Friday reviews or Tuesday podcasts, subscribe free, get updates. You can also join the Lorehaven Guild, that exclusive Discord server, where we enter monthly book quests into the best Christian-made fantastical fiction. Meanwhile, speaking of which, we are organizing a special summer challenge for family readers. I'm just going to leak that here a little bit, and then you need to subscribe to lorehaven.com and get that news update whenever we're ready to release it. Over the comm station, Zach, it's kind of dark over there, actually. And I'm kind of glad uh, because our last uh, podcast episode was called Why Does Sexualityism Threaten Christian Fiction? Got a little hot in there uh, in a good way, and I thought we would get more uh, hate mail. Uh, We didn't get hate mail, and I am perfectly fine with that. It is Resurrection Weekend (laughs) after all. Thanks to our risen Savior, we did not get canceled. Uh, We get to live a few more years on the new Earth uh, with our careers intact. Of course, now that I said that, uh, it'll, it'll blow up on Twitter somewhere and people will get mad at us. I didn't want people to get mad. I think it just illustrates that we have, a, we have a good audience who's willing to think through these things and whether or not they agree with us. Uh, it's been uh, super encouraging to get through the fantastical foes series, which isn't just sexualityism, but also sentimentalism and deconstructionism that does often threaten these stories. Meanwhile, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And in him someday, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you too will be raised. What does that look like? it looks like immunity to sin it probably looks like bullet immunity it for sure looks like imperishability you won't be able to die ever again been there done that the old is gone the new has come once again we're looking forward to that hope not just on resurrection sunday but forever as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth